cannot look at this church and not believe that there is a God because for all practical purposes, we should not be here. We shouldn't be here. And so I'm just so just, just, just going over those 27 years. And even as Pastor Queen was sharing, yeah, I was first lady. I had no clue, was not on my agenda, that this was going to be in my plan. But you know, God has a plan. And he doesn't always tell us what his plan is. And he will reveal it in what? Due time. And then he will tell us what that plan is. And, and so for that reason and for, for all those reasons and so many, because I think we could just sit down here and I know for, for those of us who are the original board members and for those who came on later, we probably could take up the next half hour or more telling you about how God blessed and how he healed and how he has delivered not only this church corporately, but we have seen healings individually, how God has just brought us through. So if you don't mind, if you really don't mind, I know it's getting a little late, but let's give the Lord another praise for his goodness and his mercy, for his healing, his deliverance, for how he's kept us from dangers unseen and, and dangers seen how he has brought us through storms. There were times he didn't stop the storm, but he brought us through. So come on, let's give the Lord a praise and for all of the storms he's brought you through. Amen. To be honest, I was sitting there too, and I was like, all right, Lord, which, what, we, what we doing today? What we going to do? You know what I mean? Because, you know, uh, we write a program, but it's the Lord's program, so how are we going to roll here, you know, <laughs> how are we moving? So um, I think we're going to move on with the message, but we shall see, okay, if that's all right with you. So as you know, last week um, we started on um, talking about distractions, and we're talking about you don't get through 27 years without knowing how to deal with distractions. Because even though God has abundant blessings for you, the enemy also knows God has abundant blessings for you, and his mission is to stop you from getting to those abundant blessings. And so we just wanted to talk about those distractions and talk about those things that the enemy would kick out to us and would try to disrupt us and to derail us and to get us off track from our purpose and our calling and from our healing, from our deliverance, from our dreams and our purposes that God has called us to. And his whole objective is to stop you from going forth. His whole objective is so that we don't have a testimony. His whole objective is to stop us in our tracks and to stop the work from being done and for us to be stuck in whatever situation that we are stuck in without going forward. That is his purpose. And he uses anything and everything to stop you from being blessed. You use anything and everything to cause you to come off of the path that God has put you on. He will use people. He will use situations. He will use sickness. He will use death. He will use anything. He will use use church hurt. He will use anything to stop you from having the victory that God has ordained for you. And so we just wanted to put it out there today, and we were coming out of the book of Nehemiah, and we're going back to the book of Nehemiah, if you don't mind. So if you will turn with me, please, to Nehemiah. We're going to go to the sixth chapter, and starting at the first verse. I'm going to kind of read the whole thing if you don't mind that, okay? Because the whole story for this message as we come to the conclusion of this series is in Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 14. 
I'm reading from the NIV version, and hopefully it's on the screen. And it is, and let us begin. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed, I need you to know how I like that, unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says, it is true, you always got somebody going to co-sign, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have, been, have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you and Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. In other words, he's saying you're telling a lie. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get into, pardon me, their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemiah, son of Deliah, and the son of Mahatelabel, well, you know him, her, it's a her, it's a her, who was shut up in the home, and he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night, they're coming to kill you, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God not, had not sent him, but, the, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So this morning we want to go into talking about, break this down if you will, because there's a whole lot that's happening in this particular passage of dealing with distractions. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I just want to bless you, dear Lord, for this time of celebration. God, for how you have brought us through these 27 years. Nobody but you. So God, we just give you all the glory and we give you all the honor. 
Now, as we come to this time of your preach word, I pray for a fresh anointing right now in the name of Jesus as we bring forth your word and that we will glean from it and we will learn from it. And God, that we will understand and be able to know how to handle the distractions that the enemy will bring and throw in our path to get us off of the purposes that you have called us to. Now we bless you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Now throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, um, we see how the enemy has used distractions, if you will, as, uh, in oppositions in order to divert believers from God's purposes. We saw how it was used against Jesus Christ when Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and how the enemy came unto him and his whole purpose was to distract him from his mission. We see the same thing happen with Noah when he was out there building his ark. He was building the ark that God had called him to build. And while he was there, people were coming and they were ridiculing him and they were mocking him uh, and he, because he was on an assignment that God had placed him on. But he had to stay focused. King Saul was a con constant distraction to David as well. So you have to understand that whenever you are doing something or anything be God, for God or because of God, you have to expect distractions and oppositions to come. And the thing of it is that God doesn't always stop distractions, but what he will do, he will allow them to come because what God wants to do is to teach us how to handle our emotions, how to keep our emotions in check, how to keep our attitudes in check when negativity and unconstructive criticism and haters come our way because they will come your way. So to be successful in this life, we not only need to know how to handle people who are friendly, we have to not only know how to handle the friends, but we got to know how to handle the foes. You got to know how to, ha how to handle all types of people who are coming your way when you are about doing God's work. On this particular Youth Sunday, I think it is really important that we continue the conversation about distraction because the truth of the matter is Satan's number one target is your young people. Is young people. You are Satan's number one target. His mission statement is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is the best time to knock a person out of their future is to catch them while they're young. Catch them when they're young, catch them when you're vulnerable. So I just want to say this to the young people. If you feel that your parents or your grandparents seem to be a little bit overbearing, if they seem to be a little bit overprotective, if you got a parent or grandparent who want to know who your friends are and want to know who you're talking about to on social media, if you got a parent who's coming down to your school and going to find out what you're doing in school, if you got a parent, if you got a parent who wants to know everything about what's happening with you, if you got a parent who will come into your room and go check your drawers, gonna open up your closets and go see what's in it, if you got that kind of parent, you need to just give the Lord a praise and thank them right now. Thank them right now because you got a parent who's trying to protect your future because that parent understands that something as sim something simple can come that you don't think about can take you off track and can ruin you for the rest of your days. So come on young people, give your, give your, put your hands together right now. Thank mama and daddy for being a headache. Thank them for being a pain because they are saving you. They are protecting you and watching over your souls. And the reason we can say that is because those of us who of a certain age can recall the traps that we fell in. I'm not saying the traps that we dodged. I'm talking about the traps that we, what we fell in. Some of us fell in some traps. 
Some of us didn't school, some of us didn't finish school because we thought we were what? Too cool. Some of us started having babies too soon. We thought we was all in love, but it wasn't nothing going down like that. Some of us were running with the wrong crowd. We wanted to fit in. And, and, and some of us made decisions without considering the consequences. And now here we are, 40, 50 years old, still dealing with stuff that we did back when we were 18 and 19 years old. Can I get the church say amen? Amen. amen. And so the thing of it is we want to protect you from that. We want to protect you from all of that if we can. You know, there was a song back in the, I think it was in the 90s, one of my one of my groups from the 90s was TLC. I love TLC. Y'all know remember TLC? Well, TLC did this song called Waterfalls. Remember Waterfalls? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was, the, that was my song. But I'm going to tell you, Waterfalls was filled with so much truth. And in Waterfalls, it was talking about this mom who was on her son's track. And, you know, she was trying, her son was out in the streets. And he was just out there. And she was out there trying to stop him and trying to get him in, trying to tell him to do right and to stay, you know, to get out of trouble. And every time her boy got in trouble, she was always by his side. That's kind of how the lyrics went. But, you know, he thought that he knew more than she did. And he jumped out there. And next thing you know, as the song said, there was another body in the gutter. And so the thing of it is about Waterfalls is just talking about how we sometimes or get into stuff over our heads because we think we know that we know. And the thing of it is, it's all about distractions and how distractions can totally blow your future. Can totally blow your future. And so here we are in Nehemiah the sixth chapter. In Nehemiah the sixth chapter, we're coming in and we see that the wall has been, re been rebuilt. And the only thing left that Nehemiah said that he has to do is to put the gates into place. That was the only thing that he have to have left to do. Now, you would think that because the wall has been rebuilt and rebuilt in record time, that Sanballat and his crew would have, would have accepted that. You would have think they would have accepted the fact that their insults and their negative comments and, and all of their hatred didn't stop the reconstruction of the wall. But here they come back again. In chapter 6, they're coming back in for one more last chance of trying to get this thing knocked out. Now, they couldn't stop the wall from being rebuilt because the wall has already been built. But what they wanted to do now, they couldn't do nothing but the wall, but what they wanted to do now, I can't take the wall down, but what I'm going to do is try to come after you personally. I want to attack you personally. I want to destroy your reputation. I want to destroy your character. I can't stop this wall because it's up. But now I'm coming after you personally. It was a personal attack that was coming after Nehemiah. And so they were coming in after him because they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stop the wall from being up. But they figured if we can come and attack him personally, Sanballat wanted to bring down Nehemiah either by taking his life or by ruining Nehemiah's reputation. Sometimes if the enemy can't stop the progress that you're making, he will go for your reputation. He will go for your character. 
And so here you see where he's going for his character. So let's look at lesson number four. Now we're starting in lesson four because last week we ended with lesson number three. So I just want y'all to know, I know how it counts. <laughs> I'm on lesson number four. So Sanballat hoped that if he brought down the leader, that the people would scatter and the work would stop. He was hoping that if he could bring down Nehemiah, that although the wall was up, the people would not be organized enough to maintain the vision and that they would scatter and therefore the wall would be totally ineffective. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because the leader would have been taken out of place. The leader would have been removed, so he wanted to distract, take that away, hoping that the people, I hope y'all following where I'm going with that, that the people will not stay on point and stay on the wall and stay in the vision that God had given. So, so it's an age-old trick of the enemy. The enemy been doing this for years and years and years. You see, it was the enemy's hope that if Martin Luther King was assassinated, that the civil rights movement would cease. It was the enemy's hope that if Richard Johnson III died, the first Christian wouldn't live. It was the enemy's hope that if Jesus Christ was crucified, um, that there would not be a Christian. But instead, he was crucified, but he lived again. It is, it, is the, it is the same trick that the enemy constantly used. The enemy goes after the leader with the objective. What the objective is, if I can kill the leader, if I can kill the dream, dreamer, I can kill the dream. And it's for that reason... It is for that reason that you don't just follow the leader just because you believe in that person. You follow the leader because you believe in the vision. You believe in the person, but you believe in the vision because if the person is removed... person is removed. What are you following? What are, what are you following? And so, 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 see, what some folks don't get and what they don't understand, I, I hear it a lot, and you know, and they will go like, they talk about first Christian was, was, was Johnson's vision. No, first Christian was not his vision. Shock. It, it wasn't his vision. It's God's vision. Any vision that comes from God is God's vision. And what God does is he reveals his vision to a person and that person sees the vision and then that person has to then make a decision if he or she is going to ask, do what God has asked, asked them to do. So the vision always belongs to God. It's his vision. So even though if the leader is gone, the earthly leader is gone, the heavenly leader is still in place because the visionary is still here. The visionary has not left because this is God's work. God called us to this work. And therefore, uh, you know, folks will say, well, you're carrying on, you know, your husband's dream and you're taking care of his dream. I am not a trustee of my husband's vision. I'm not. I'm a trustee of God's vision. 
I'm a trustee of God's vision. It's, it's his vision. And so Sand Valley's hope was that the people were not only, were, his hope was that the people were just following Nehemiah. Hope that he was just following Nehemiah and not the God that Nehemiah was serving. There is a difference. And so he would use it as a distraction. And so again, that's why it's important so that you don't get off track. You got to know why you belong to something. You got to know why you have joined something. You got to know why you decide to become a member of something. You got to know the reason why, and you don't go in just because somebody is very charismatic. You go in it because not only do they have a calling on their life, but you believe in the call, but you believe in the mission. Because if something happens, if something happens, what do you do? You got it. As the word says, you know, we start, you have people going by, blown by every wind and doctrine because you're not sound. You have to be sound and understand who it is and why you're following something and why you're making yourself a part of a particular mission or a vision. Amen. Lesson number five. Lesson number five. You have to understand that the enemy will use something that sounds like a good opportunity but it's a setup. He will use something that sounds like a good opportunity, but it's a setup. Let me say this first. There are some good opportunities that can come our way, and they're worthy. They are for a good cause, for a good purpose, but it doesn't mean that we are to take advantage of that particular opportunity. It may not be for us. It may be that we are part of something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are supposed to lead something. You follow what I'm saying? It may not be for you at this particular time. It could be something that's down the road, but maybe not necessarily at this particular time. But I wanted to talk about the opportunity that was coming into San, I mean, to, um, Nehemiah's way that Sanballat was creating. And see, when we talk about a setup, a setup is created to intentionally place you into a position where you're going to fail. That's the, that's the intent of a setup. Sanballat sent an invitation over to Nehemiah and asked Nehemiah to come on over to Ono to have a talk. Now, it sounded good on the surface. Ono was a neutral territory. It wasn't going on any of, it wasn't on San Ballast territory or Tobias, wasn't on, it was neutral territory. And he was inviting him to come out. Now, Nehemiah could have been thinking, okay, they're finally going to ease up, and now they want to sit down and work things out. Which would have been a, been a reasonable thought. Would have been a reasonable thought, because it sounded like the meeting was going to be, it was innocent. It sounded like it was something innocent on the surface. But as we read the scripture, it, it, it doesn't tell us what it is that they really want to talk about. They just said, we want to talk. And so, but the thing of it is, you don't know if they want to talk about something good, making peace, because it didn't say. We don't know if they were trying to get him out there to kill him, because it was taking him away from his people, and it was taking him out on a distance away from where they were. We didn't know if they were going to do something that was going to try to damage his reputation. It doesn't say what it is that they were trying to do or wanted to do. 
But one thing that it does say with how um, Nehemiah responds is that Nehemiah discerned that whatever it is, it wasn't for his good. Nehemiah discerned that it was about the, whatever the reason they were calling him out, the reason was for him to stop his work, and that's why he said, I'm not going out there. And so the first thing, first thing that we noted here about Nehemiah and that we know all the way through Scripture, um, this um, book of Nehemiah, is that Nehemiah stayed in constant communication with God. Nehemiah was in constant prayer with God. So even though the message that came to him to come and meet was not very, didn't have a lot of information in it, and he could have innocently gone out there, but God evidently in prayer told him, don't make that move because it's a setup. Just because it looks good, just because it sounds good, just because the person who's bringing it to you right now is sounding like they really want to make peace, it doesn't really mean you have to be able to discern that spirit before stepping out there. Because, see, when you are about God's business, when you are rebuilding your life, when you have been placed in a leadership position, it is imperative imperative that you pray without ceasing because it's the only way that you will be able to avoid the landmines that the enemy has strategically placed to block your way. Because landmines are not ever set out so you can see them. Landmines are hidden. They're hidden. And so you have to be in prayer at all times. I'm not saying that you got to be fearful. I'm not saying that you got to be working with a whole lot of anxiety. What I'm saying is, is that when you're in a leadership position or parent, anyone, you have to be always constantly in prayer because you don't know where the landmines are that the enemy has placed. And he strategically places these landmines, especially for you. He knows the path that you take. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. And so he will put landmines out to trap you. And so you have to be careful. The enemy wants to draw you away from the wall. He wanted to draw Nehemiah away from the people. He wanted to draw Nehemiah away from the wall. He wants to draw you away from the wall. The wall is the place where God has positioned you to fulfill your destiny. He has positioned you there. So the enemy doesn't want you to fulfill your destiny. He wants you to quit rehab. He wants you to give up on your education. He wants you, he wants you to stop thinking about that business. He wants your ministry. He wants to get into your finances, into your children. He wants your family to fail. He wants all of that. He wants you to come down off of the wall and to draw you into a place where you can't come back from. That's all he wants. That's the reality of it. To draw you into a place. Setting someone up to fail is a common tactic of the enemy. And he again, he uses it to distract us away from our purpose, away from our goals and dreams and our assignment. He uses it. So here you are, up here on your wall that God has called you to. Here you are getting your little life together. And here comes a good-looking guy. 
talking to you ladies. And he cut in all the right places. Y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. He tells you everything you want to hear. Tells you how good you look. How you're the love of his life. But if he notice, he never tells you that he loves you. But the question is, is he the real thing or is he a distraction? So how do you find out whether he's a real thing or a distraction? The question you need to ask next is, what does he bring to the table? What does he bring to the table? What does he have to offer? Does he have his own place? Or is he trying to move in your place? Is he driving his car? Or is he riding around in your car? You got to make some decisions. How many baby mamas does he have? And if he got them, is he paying child support? And if he doesn't, what does that tell you? Now, ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook either. Because many a good man has been messed up by women. So brothers, this is all I got to say to you. Be careful about dealing with a woman who hasn't been healed from her past. Be careful about dealing with a woman who has not been healed from her past. Because the thing of it is, you are going to forever going to be paying the price for what another man has done to her. Your name is Johnny, but she sees Jimmy. And she's going to treat you like Jimmy. Because Jimmy was the one who hurt her. And so therefore, she's not going to trust you no further than she can throw you. And she's going to have major attitude with you. And she's going to do the head swinging and the snap finger. She's going to be all of that because she hasn't healed from her past relationship. And I'm telling you, brother, she will become a distraction to you because you're trying to please her. You're trying to figure her out. But what you haven't understand is you are Jimmy to her and not Johnny. Okay? And unless God called you into the position to help be the facilitator of her healing, my advice to you is run. <laughs> run as fast as you can. Okay? Because girlfriend is going to jack you up. All right? Now, ladies, you know I'm telling me the truth. So come on and give the Lord a praise for the truth. You know I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling the truth. Because you know some of y'all out there messing up somebody right now. Y'all. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy, I mean, Johnny. Jo 
You know, Chimmy, you're the, I mean, I'm sorry, Johnny, John, mm-mm, you ain't here. You ain't here right now. You know you need to go get here. And brothers, you need to go ahead and pack your stuff and go somewhere else, okay? Get yourself a life and get somebody who wants it. Because see, here it is. <clears throat> when you're on the wall, when you're on the wall, there's always going to be an ono. There's always going to be that person. There's always going to be that place. There's always going to be that thing that appears to be an opportunity. But really, it isn't a setup. It is a distraction. And it's to throw you off your game. Not just to throw you off your game. It's to throw you out of the game. And that is the whole purpose, is to throw you out of the game. Here's the other thing that we picked up when we're looking at Nehemiah. Uh, when you're looking at Nehemiah, when you're up on the wall, you need to know what your priorities are. You need to know your priorities, and you need to keep them straight. Before you can keep your priorities straight, you have to know what they are. You have to first know what your priorities are, and then after you know what they are, then you have to keep them straight. So, you know, last Sunday I was sharing with you that one of the greatest tragedies is a person having no direction, and people with no direction have not identified their, their priorities. One thing that we see here about Nehemiah is Nehemiah knew his priority. His priority was do the work that God had called him to do. And so when you know what your priorities are, and therefore when potential distractions come your way, they don't set you back because you understand I need to keep this first and foremost in front of me and not be strayed off to the side and become distracted by something that's not in line with a priority, with my priority or with the priority God has given to you. So, so there are going to be people who, that you may have to let go. When you up on the wall about a good work, there are maybe people in your circle that cannot come with you. They cannot follow you because they're going to be a distraction to you. There are going to be places that you need to stay out of. You might used to go there back in the day, but you can't go there anymore because if you go there, it's going to be a distraction. Sometimes we think we are healed, delivered, and set free, and then we walk into a situation and we find out we're not as healed and delivered and set free as we thought we were. And so something will come along, and here we fall back into what God had brought us out of because we have not been healed long enough. We have not been out long enough. We don't have enough strength to stand against what had us trapped before and we fall back into the trap. You've got to know what your priorities are and you have to know where to stay. And Nehemiah understood his priorities. He understood and he knew them and he would not allow anything to distract him. And that's why he said, I'm not coming down. I'm not going to deal with you right now because I have to stay focused. I got to stay on point because I know my priorities. Know your priorities. If you don't have them, get them. If you don't have any priorities, get some priorities. And don't make the priorities up in your head. You and God need to have a conversation. What is it that you want me to do? Where is it that I need to be? How do you want, us, how you want me to go forward in this life? There has to be a conversation between you and God. Go somewhere by yourself, just you and the Father, one-on-one, -on -one, and have some conversations and let him give you some direction so that when every wind comes your way, you're not blown off track because you don't have priorities. Don't have priorities. Lastly, I think I'm number last. Last thing is, beware of liars, lies, and rumors. Beware of lies, liars, and rumors. Oh my. Lies, liars, and rumors. Lies, liars, and rumors. One more time. Lies, liars and rumors oh my because they come with the territory Jeremiah had to deal with it especially if you are in leadership they come to divert you from your focus now when Nehemiah when Nehemiah refused and this is coming down here 
uh, where are we? We are over in verse da-da, five. Coming down in verse five, that's when we see the letter. When Nehemiah refused to come down, Sanballat sent a letter. Okay? They sent a letter. And, 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 and they sent an open letter. And we're going to talk about that. They sent an open letter. <clears throat> and it began, it says, is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, see, that's what some people do. They will add, they will add in people's names that will make it seem like it's a credible information in order to validate the lie. There been a whole lot of times, and Pastor Queen and I can attest to it, that folks will come back and say, but we were told that you said. Isn't that right, Pastor Queen? That you said. And we never heard it. We never heard it. But the thing of it is, is that sometimes people will use your name to validate something else. And in this case, they were using Geshem's name to validate because they figured Geshem was a, a reliable source, and they were using it to validate the lie. And then it goes on to say that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you might be king. Now, the letter was sent out by a messenger, and the scripture tells us it was an open letter. It wasn't sealed. It wasn't sealed. Back then, it was sealed with a stamp. But it was an open letter because the sender understood that the messenger was going to read it. It was going to open it up, and as he was moving through the towns to get to Nehemiah, the word was going to spread that Nehemiah was building this wall, and his people was going to take over, and Nehemiah was going to have the prophets to come forward to say he was going to be king. It was a setup. They were lying on me or not because they understood what the, that the servant was going to read the content and that it was going to spread throughout the villages and the surrounding areas, and it was for the purpose of causing the people who heard it to become fearful of Nehemiah, and it was to undermine Nehemiah's work and to undermine his authority. They also knew, they also knew this about human nature, that people have a tendency to believe the worst about someone else. Because, see, when you're about your business and God in God's business, business, there's always going to be someone in the crowd, no matter what you say or what you do, they're going to choose to believe the worst about you. So they were feeding on that, that this was going to get out and that it was going to discredit Nehemiah's authority and was going to discredit him because the people will become fearful. People still use that kind of stuff today. They will be out on social media and they will put some stuff out about you that isn't even true about you in order to get people upset and disrupted. It happens all through in our political scene. That's what's been going on, is that false information is coming out and it's for the purpose of getting people disturbed and without people taking the time to find out the truth. So you see, this is what's happening today is not anything new. 
of how it's being used to undermine what you're doing, what undermine what God has given you to do. So here's my advice. Don't give any energy, don't give any energy to those kind of lies that come out about you. And instead, instead what, ne- what uh, Nehemiah did, what Nehemiah did, because it was a public accusation, now here's the difference. Sometimes when something comes at you and it's publicly, you're going to have to deal with it publicly. Okay? You're going to have to deal with it publicly. So it was a public accusation coming out to Nehemiah. But if you notice, Nehemiah didn't go into a long dissertation. All Nehemiah said was, it's not true. That's all you need to say. It's not true. What you said is not true. And keep it moving. Nehemiah said it wasn't true, and then well, he just kept going. Because when someone has lied on you, when someone has lied on you, I don't know about you, but I can tell you about me, that when somebody's lied on me and I found out about it, first thing I want to do is go get them straight. I need to have a conversation. You know, I need to, I need to have a conversation. And, and, and the thing of it is, is that you, you need to step back sometime because an immediate response is not always necessary. You have to step back, ask God for wisdom, and ask God whether or not is this one of those times you need to remain silent or do you need to speak to it? Because sometimes you just, just need to remain silent. And then there are other times you need to speak to it, and then he will tell you how to speak to it. Now, here's another rule of thumb, and I know most of you have already heard it before. When you upset, that is not the time to shoot off a text. Not the time to shoot off a text, not the time to shoot off an email. It's not the time to pick up that telephone. Okay, don't pick it up right away. You need to, you need to, you need to sit back for a moment, take a breath, cool down a little bit, because something come, might come out that you don't mean come out, or you meant for it to come out then, but later on you go like, no, I shouldn't have gone that far. Because you have to also keep in mind, because the enemy will use it, again, he's trying to discredit you. And so he will use opportunities when you're angry. He will use opportunities when you're upset to discredit you. And so you could come out your face too soon and say something that you shouldn't have said. I'm not saying that what you said wasn't true. I'm just saying it may not need to be said or it may have been another way to say it. That you have to calm it down and take a moment. You might need a day or two. You might need a day or two before you respond. But it doesn't mean that you don't respond. And then when you do respond, mm, wait until about noon. I let them know you're not all that stressed. So you get back. You, let it, you, know, you don't go first thing in the morning, and you don't go last thing at night. You go last thing at night, that says the message I'm thinking about it. If you go first thing in the morning, that means I thought about it during the night. Eh, wait about noon, wait about 12, 1 o'clock. Then you send your response um, I just want to get back to you. Takes them off guard every time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last thing. Last thing. When the lie didn't work, when the lie on Nehemiah didn't work, the next attack came from on the inside. It came from his own people. It was an inside job. It was someone who had access and was close to Nehemiah, and that was Shemaiah. Shemaiah was pretending to be concerned about Nehemiah when, in fact, he was working for Sandow. He was in Nehemiah's court. He was in Nehemiah's space. 
Nehemiah appeared like he may have even trusted him because he went to see him. He went to see him. But this person, and this person was very deceptive because it was coming off like, um, you know, like he was, he was definitely in Nehemiah's corner and like he really was trying to protect Nehemiah. But he was very conniving. And he, the reason why he was so conniving is because he was using his position as a prophet to intimidate. He was using his, his position as a prophet to intimidate. I'm not saying that he wasn't a legitimate prophet, but at that particular time, he was not using his graces legitimately, and it was not a, it was not a prophetic word from God. You got to watch folks who come rolling up on you, telling you what God told, told them about you. I'm telling you, you have to be careful about that because here is the thing. God will confirm to you first. God will put it in your spirit first. And then when that person comes to you, it should be a confirmation of what is already in your spirit. If it's not already in your spirit, I'm not saying it's not a true word, but what I'm saying, you test that word, you test that spirit, you test it out, you see whether or not it lines up according to God's word because people will use, quote unquote, the word of God, they will use their position to intimidate and try to persuade you to do something that they want you to do and God never spoke to them. Never spoke to them. We had a whole lot of prophetic word that came to us about this church. You will never have to go to the bank. Well, we did. <laughs> I mean, really, let me tell you, we had a whole lot that came up. And if we had latched on to every last one of them, we would be feeling some kind of way about the Lord. But I'm telling you, people will roll up on you. And I'm going to tell you something else. People can, people can spot out weaknesses in other people. Cause all and, and not just me, they can spot out if you're going through. You watch some folks, you can spot out and just look at how a person is sitting, how, this non-verbal communication, how they're sitting, whether or not they're going through. And then you can roll up on there, listen, the Lord is telling me that your deliverance is coming on this day. Lord ain't told them nothing. Ain't told them jack. They're just taking advantage of how you look. You look jacked up. So it didn't take a whole lot for me to come and say you're all right. That's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. All you got to do is look. Reason roll down. This is what the Lord said to me about you. You're going to get a check. They already know your bill is late. They already know that you've been having problems taking your pain. They already know that. Okay? I'm just simply saying, just be mindful of these prophets and these words from God coming to you and test that thing out. All right? God is good. He is delivered. He will set you free. He will come through. But let me tell you, he don't work like that. Amen. Amen. Can I get it? I need y'all work with me. It doesn't work like that. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Here's the last thing. I'm going to tell you one thing. What my grandmama used to say, because this is about Osan um, talking about Shemaiah, because see, he was, he was really, he, he was one of what we talked about last week about secret enemies. He was the one that was sitting close to you but really don't mean anything for you. He was one of those people. Man, he was in there, and then on top of, like I said, what made it worse, he's using his position as a prophet 
I am prophesizing. That's what he's saying to tell you, you need to come because they're going to come to kill you. And you need to run into the temple and you need to hide in the temple. That's what he was doing. And so, but at the same time, he was working, he was working for Sanballat. My grandmama used to say, the same dog that brings a bone will carry a bone. The same one that keep running up to you telling you about somebody else's business, trust and believe if you're telling them your business, they are taking it out to somebody else. You can trust and believe. You can trust and believe. You got to be careful who you share your secrets with. I'm not saying you can't share, but you need to know who you're talking to. You got to be careful who you're sharing your secrets with. You got to be careful about who you're sharing your fears with. You got to be selective about who you tell your plans to. You got to be careful who, what you believe God has spoken into you. You got to be careful who you give that thing to. Be careful about who you're sharing your dreams and your goals. Everybody can't handle the good news in your life. You got to be careful who you put that out to. Know your people. Know your people. I told you last week, you can recognize your people. You already know who with you, who not with you. As I shared with you last week, the Spirit already told you, already told you, you don't trust that person over there. Already told you. So therefore, just pay attention. Pay attention to what God is saying to you. Be careful about what you put out there because there have been ministries, there have been businesses, there have been marriages, there have been friendships, there have been lost and stolen because someone they trusted information with betrayed them. You got to be careful. People like Shamia are the worst of the worst because they're using their position of friendship and they're also using their position of, of, of being a, a minister in this particular case, of being a minister, of being a prophet in order to gain access to a person in order to bring a person down. Here was the other issue with Nehemiah because if he had run into the temple, if he had ran into the temple out of fear for his life, it would have been detrimental for two reasons. And we're coming to a close here. Here is the first reason. Nehemiah was a leader. He was a leader. And trust me when I tell you this, that as leaders, we are sometimes fearful. We can be afraid, but you cannot let your people know when you are afraid. You got to stand firm and stand believe and keep it moving. If he had run out of fear to protect himself, because he would have left the people out there, he would have left the people out there, that would have caused the people possibly to become distrustful of him. Is it that every time trouble comes, you're going to leave us? So he had to be careful about that. He had to, when, you, when, you, when you're building um, your life or rebuilding your life, when you're up on the wall focusing on what God has for you, there are going to be times where fear will come. Fear will come, and it's going to hit you. But you can't quit just because you are afraid. You got to stand firm, stay on the wall, and keep it moving. And that doesn't mean you don't have your close friend where you talk about your fear with. That's where, your close, that's where your real friends come in. But you don't put that out there to other people. Here's the other thing that Shemiel wanted to do. He was trying to set Nehemiah up to sin. Because Nehemiah was not a priest, if he had run into the temple, he would have gone into the part of the temple where only the priest was allowed to go. And if he had gone into the area where only their priests would have allowed to go, he would have desecrated the temple and he would have sinned. 
and then he would have, his credit would have been no good. He would have been out. Be careful about friends, especially Christian friends, who invite you to do something that is questionable. Because there are many church people who, who again, don't want you to do better than they are. The bigger your dream, the higher you are elevated, the more you have accomplished, the more temptations will come your way, especially from seemingly innocent sources to tempt you to sin. It's about discrediting your reputation, totally discrediting your reputation. There is a saying out there that says, that says your job is to take care of your character and it's God's job to protect your reputation. And that's a true saying because God can, your reputation, my reputation, it belongs to God. And God can do whatever he wants with our reputation. He can do whatever he wants with our reputation. And there are times where he would allow to seem like our reputation may be soiled. Sometimes we might have to go through something. But it doesn't mean that he won't redeem us in the end. That he will bring us through. So all we have to do is take care of our character. Watch where you're going. Watch who you're going with. Watch what you're doing. Understand this, and this is my son and daughter used to hate this. They used to hate when I just say this with a passion. You can't do what everybody else is doing. I don't care. <laughs> they, just, they just couldn't. I used to tell them, I used to tell them, you got to shun the appearance. They hated me when I said that. They just hated that, not hated me. But they hated when I would say, you have to shun the appearance. Well, Mom, everybody else, I understand. But you're not everybody. And even though what they're doing is not bad, if you do it, it's because of who you are that people look at it differently. Is it fair? No, it's not. But it's reality. It's reality. I'm not saying it's fair. It's reality. You can't do everything that someone else is doing, even though it may not be harmful. But because it's you and what you represent and what you're about, you will be judged accordingly. So you got to be careful about how you go out there. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. And that is one of the concerns that I have about the church today of trying to, be, to remain relevant. We can't carry ourselves like the world. We can't always do what the world is doing and you can't just bring in the world and just bring it into the church because we are supposed to be different. We are set apart. We're not supposed to blend in. We are supposed to be the leaders, not the followers. And so we just can't fall for everything that the world is doing because we're trying to stay relevant. If God can't keep us relevant, then we don't need to be. Then we don't need to be. We don't, need, we don't compromise his values. We don't compromise who he is. We, sometimes you're going to have to stand by yourself and be fine with it because you cannot fall and go into an area where God did not point, point you to go just because you want to fit in. You were not designed or created to fit in. Embrace it. Embrace it. You're supposed to be different. And I'm not saying being different, being freakish and weird. I'm not talking about being no weirdo. Okay, because you know, you got, that, you got that other end of the spectrum that I don't know about them people over there. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't know about them. They they so far they so far off over in this direction. I mean, they just so they they like Holy Ghost Junior. You know, you're going like what in the world? You know, just not just not realistic, but not practical. But I'm saying being practical and being understanding. Distractions come. God has a plan for every person in this room. Every single person in this room. And the same way that God has a plan for every person in this room, the enemy has a distraction plan for you. It's a reality. Don't sleep on it. Don't act like, oh, I, you know, it's not all that big deal with me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because the moment you think you are not important to God, the moment you think that God doesn't really have anything for you is the, what the enemy wants you to get into. He wants you to think that. He wants you to think you're not important. He wants you to think there isn't a plan for you just so you don't follow him and so that you can be distracted. But how many of you know the enemy is a lie? He is a lie. And, what the, and as we used to say, what God has for you is what? Is for you. So you're going to go through some stuff, but understand this, you got to know how to handle the distractions in your life. They're going to come. They're going to come. But know how to handle it so you can keep moving forward. Can I get the church to say amen? Amen. amen. As the decision councils are coming down. Now the opportunity is coming for anyone who is under the sound of my voice. And if you are here, and first I just want to say, if you are here and you know you have been distracted, you know opposition has come your way, you know you have been pulled off your game, knocked out of your game, knocked off the wall, and you want to get back up. If you are here, I invite you to come down and let one of the decision counselors pray with you so that you can get back into position and so that you can move forward as God has called you. So I invite you to come now if there's one here. If you've been knocked off. The doors are open for salvation as well. God bless you. See this lady here. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Is there another? You know you've been knocked off. Or maybe you're here and you don't even know what God has for you. You're not sure. We invite you to come down and let the decision councils talk with you and pray with you and help to guide you into a direction where you can begin praying for direction as to seeking what God has for you and what priorities he has for you and what he wants you to put in place. If you're here, we invite you to come down now. We don't want to come in. We may have come in one way, but we definitely want to leave another. Leave better than what we came in. Salvation is in the house as well. Salvation is in the house.